Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Bas van Horen. So Bas is a PhD researcher at Maastricht University in the Netherlands, where he recently wrote an article looking at how cooldowns can be effective or not for sporting performance. And next to that, he also works for a wearable tech company looking at wearables in running. So who better today to discuss cooldowns than Bas? Without further ado, it's time to welcome him onto the show. So Bas, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. Happy to have a chat about cooldowns. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Sure. So uh, I'm a PhD student still at the Maastricht University. I started in 2017 based on a one-year grant. And then in 2019, I started again based on, a, I think it's a three-year grant. So it has been finished by now, but I'm still doing uh, some research, like two days a week, two days a week working at a wearable company and also starting soon at uh, Top Sport Topics. And then I'm, in addition, also doing a lot of uh, workshops and lectures around yeah, Netherlands, but also Europe in general and training myself still also as an athlete. So well, what's, what's your training background for the, for those who don't uh, follow Dutch athletics? Um, like, like typically athletics, you mean, or just in, in general sports? No, I mean, what, what, yeah, what's, what, what are you really good at, which, which, yeah, inspires you to, to do this kind of research? Um, yeah, so probably I would say 10K running performance, 5K also is uh, my main focus. I'm going to start a half marathon also this weekend. So perhaps, uh, if that's going to go well, that uh, might also be uh, like a good distance. But in general, I would say that like the middle long distances is something uh, that uh, suits me well. Perfect. Perfect. So obviously you, you wrote a, a paper a while back on cooldowns and that's what I've, uh, I've asked you to, to discuss today. But when we get into cooldowns, like what, what is it to start with? I mean, obviously you kind of think, oh, it's the stuff that I do at the end of a session. But what, what is a cooldown then? Yeah, that's a good question. Of course, that uh, helps if we have a sort of definition to know what we're talking about. Um, so what we did in the review was to look at some surveys and that uh, asked coaches and athletes, what do they typically do if they do what they call a cool down? And typically that's something, an activity involving five to 15 minutes of low to maximum moderate intensity exercise performed within one hour after exercise. So it's not something super difficult. I mean, if you're doing uh, a cool down, like a low, low intensity activity, 30 minutes, for 30 minutes after exercise, you could still call it a cool down, even though it's something that's not the most typical cool down. Um, but yeah, I think these sort of general guidelines, so five to 15 minutes within one hour after exercise, that's what most people would typically do after exercise as a cool down. And, and that includes what type of exercise? So like you say, just, just mo moving, is it, is it stretching? Could it, what, what kind of stuff can that entail? Um, that's also quite broad, uh, also in the literature and the surveys. So typically it involves some kind of low intensity cycling. I think that's what's mostly being used. And then we have quite a few studies also using low intensity running. And then a very yeah, small minority of studies, they use some uh, combination. It can also be some low intensity water-based running, for example, water-based cycling, just put a bike like in a water cycle. Um, and some combinations also with foam rolling, static stretching, but typically, yeah, like in practice, you might see some combinations there in the research, of course, then they try and really isolate cool down from foam rolling or static stretching or whatever. 
Cool. So what what's the rationale behind that, right? So obviously, okay, maybe it sounds logical. You you cool your body down according to the words that they're used to describe it. But like, what what actually is the reason to do that, or what's the, the thought process behind it? Yeah, so overall, I guess the reason is just to improve recovery with the aim. If you are better recovered, then you can perform better at your next session. That might, if you're just doing the next session is training, that might lead to better adaptations there. If you can perform like at a higher intensity, for example, and if it's a competition, of course, that means you can perform better at a competition. Um, and then, of course, the question is, how do we define recovery? And that's something you can like it, it's easy from a practical perspective. You just say like, well, recover better. But if you want to really measure this, then it actually gets quite tricky. And there, like the sort of rationale, the physiological reasons there is that people typically do a cool down because they assume it produces muscle soreness, the, the perceived stiffness, for example, um, lactate might be reduced faster. Uh, you also get faster recovery of the heart rate, and you might also, uh, some people do it to reduce injury risk. So these are some of the physiological and more practical reasons why people do a cool down. Of course, and the question is whether cool down is effective at these things, but that's the next question then. Why, why are, are they effective? Like, does it work if you're, if you're going to invest 15 minutes, I don't know, let's say four or five times a week, um, does it actually help you to improve recovery? Yeah. Again, a good one. So I guess. To answer that question, we have to look into very specific, well-defined concepts. So I guess the most easy one sort of an overarching one to look into is just performance. And if you can perform better, that probably means a, a lot of physiological parameters have improved. And we looked at performance at two different time points um, after four hours after exercise, so basically on the same day, but with a minimum of four hours between the previous activity, including cool down and the next activity, and also how a cool down affects performance on the next day. And of course, the next day is probably something that's mostly relevant for just your typical recreational athlete and same day recovery for elite athletes that might train twice a day, for example. Um, so if you look at performance on the same day, we typically see that a cool down has no effect. And if it has some effects, it might actually be rather negative effects. So that suggests if you want to have sort of optimum performance um, twice on the same day, it might actually be better to skip your cooldown rather than to perform especially very extensive cooldown. And sort of intuitively that makes sense because if you're doing an activity and then you add, let's say you're, you're running for an hour and you add another 50 minutes of slow intensity running, it's just another 50 minutes of exercise, which adds to the total volume, which might reduce recovery if you have only have four hours of recovery time. Um, the story is not very different if you look at uh, next day performance. What we see there is typically, again, that a cool down doesn't really affect next day performance. Uh, but if we see some effects, they're more likely to be a little bit more on the positive side rather than the negative side. So you could have some argument there if you wanna improve next day performance, you could consider including a cool down in your yeah, training routine, basically. So the, the risk is essentially doing more volume and therefore being tired. Um, and the advantages then aren't outweighing that risk as such. Sorry, I lost you for a second there. Can you oh, repeat sorry. the last part? Yeah, so like the, the, the risk is that you, um, you would effectively produce more volume in the training and therefore that you wouldn't 
um, recover as well. And the, the benefits are potentially what you mentioned earlier, lots of nice physiological stuff, but they don't outweigh those, those downsides. Yeah, it depends a bit probably also, we can go into these physiological effects as well, if you like. So perhaps it's, it's nice to discuss some um, physiological effects where we see some benefits and some physiological um, mechanisms basically where we don't see any benefits or rather see negative benefits. Absolutely. So yeah. um, to, to go into this a little bit more detail, I think one interesting one to discuss is perhaps this muscle soreness um, and that's perceived muscle soreness that so we just ask people if we palpate a muscle, then does it feel less sore basically? And there we typically don't see any beneficial effects of a cool down. Uh, the same if we actually measure muscle soreness or muscle damage, sorry, which has some relation of course with muscle soreness, but it's not perfect relation. That's why it's important to also measure it. And there also, we don't really see any strong evidence that we can reduce muscle damage if we include a cool down after exercise. Um, but for some other outcomes, for example, we might see some beneficial effects. For example, if we look at lactate, we typically see it's reduced a bit faster, uh, when you perform a cool down after exercise. But then the question is also a little bit, um, what's really the benefit there? Because lactate indeed it's reduced faster when you measure it in the blood, but if you measure it in the muscle tissue where you would probably then want to reduce it faster, or at least the, the metabolic effects associated with lactate. Uh, but there it's not really reduced any faster in, in like it's conflicting findings at least. And then also if it's reduced faster, like lactate will reduce to baseline levels anyway, within like 90 minutes max after exercise. So then it's really questionable if you have to perform after four hours or next day, then how relevant is it to have lactate reduced to baseline in like a few minutes faster compared to just doing nothing. And that's basically what we see for a lot of these outcomes, the same for heart rate, it reduces a little bit faster, but it's really questionable if you have your heart, heart rate back at baseline within, let's say 15 minutes or 20 minutes, is it really going to make any difference to whatever performance and the same for sweat rate and all these kind of things. So that's, there's a lot of outcomes where if we see some effects, it's really questionable whether it's useful. Then we have some outcomes where we don't really see any strong effects. Um, and then we have also some outcomes where we rather see some negative effects. Um, and like an example, there is glycogen, uh, restoration. Um, and even though studies that provided a lot of carbohydrates during the cool down, so this wasn't like a reason that people weren't fed or something, but then they typically still saw that, especially in type one muscle fibers, performing a cool down led to less uh, glycogen replenishment than comparing no cool down. And that of course then might also explain why like sort of combining all these factors, you might have some negative effects on glycogen restoration. You might have some, let's say very small positive effects on um, let's say lactate, heart rate, uh, but you don't have any effects on muscle soreness. So the net effect probably is what you sort of measure with performance that we typically don't really see any strong beneficial effects. Although it also depends a little bit on the training level, something we can discuss as well, uh, but I'm, I'm going to so, leave it there for now. For now. So what, what is the difference between, let's say, I don't know, let's say a, a weekend warrior who goes out and they run their, their 10K and they're happy with their time and, and all is good in the world and they go eat pizza or whatever and, and life goes on. And an elite athlete who's really training for performance. Um, yeah, can, can it make a difference to the, to the elite level compared to the um, intermediate level, for example? Um, so there 
to my knowledge, there haven't been any studies that really directly compared elites, like the effect of a cooldown with only elites and recreational athletes. But we had some studies, sort of hinting at the idea that indeed for more recreational athletes, they typically perceive a cooldown as just being more training. Which also then, of course, we know psychological effects have a major influence on how effective like a recovery strategy actually is so that's a very important one and of course they are just in total like an overall these recreational athletes are just less accumulated to um like running for example and that's some studies indeed suggest there if we have sort of untrained individuals i think it's netball what they performed and then have them perform some running after the netball it actually leads to more muscle soreness which sort of makes sense because if you have athletes not accustomed to run they have performed, let's say, 90 minutes of some team sports activity, and then you also add 50 minutes of a cooldown, which includes running, then it might just accelerate muscle soreness and muscle damage, and therefore sort of actually reduce their recovery. Whereas 40 D that leads doesn't really like the, the total impact of doing some 50 minutes extra running, low intensity that might be, I'm just making like 3K, whatever, compared to a 150K week for like elite running athletes, that's really like a very small extra amount of volume. So I guess that's really an important factor to consider there. Do the athletes like actually to perform a cool down? What's their training level? And then we also have some differences, of course, between cycling, running, if it's cycling, it's, it induces less muscle soreness, muscle damage in general compared to running. So that's also something to factor in the equation there. And when you, when you look at things which are, let's say, either highly metabolic or have high mechanical load. Does that then differ from something like cycling, which is, although high volume, not necessarily high mechanical or um, like a, a high metabolic load, if you do uh, a chilled out training. So if you take like a, a cycling training for, I don't know, an, an hour of, of really low intensity against, um, I don't know, football, small sided games, how, how would they differ? Is there, is there a difference in potential use for, for cooldowns then? That's also a good one. So when we published the review back in 2018, most of the papers that were published on a cooldown, they looked at, let's say, more explosive kind of activities or team sports activities. So just, let's say, 30 seconds Wingate test or indeed a 90-minute soccer match. And we didn't really have a lot of studies that looked into an hour long of cycling or marathon running or et cetera. But since like we published the review, there have been actually quite a few studies, I think particularly in runners, marathon performance, for example. And they also suggest basically in line with the conclusions of our review that it typically actually doesn't make any difference whether people perform a cool down or don't. So I guess my overall conclusion there is really that it doesn't really for so far matter if you're talking about more endurance side of performance or more, let's say explosive performance or team sports performance. We, we still sort of have the same effects, which is in general, not really a strong beneficial effect of a cooldown. I mean, it also typically can't hurt a lot, depending on what you do exactly. It's something we can uh, go down to in some recommendations later on. Uh, but yeah, that would be my like conclusion that it probably doesn't matter too much. So when when we take all that into account, right? Like it doesn't sound like people need to be doing this particularly. Um, let's say that based on this evidence, people are like, you know what, I'll throw that. Don't 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 do that anymore. What could be done instead of a cool down? So if they, if they have the need to do some kind of recovery, then maybe they can do their cool down stuff. But 
you've got, let's say, your, your 15 minutes and you still want to recover really well, but this evidence doesn't support this. Is there evidence to support other recovery methods which could potentially aid that, that short-term recovery? Yeah, uh, I think my, my first question there would be, are you really, like, is optimizing recovery, recovering as fast as possible, is that really the most important thing that you want to achieve right now? Because if you, or at least for some recovery interventions, we have this trade-off between having a faster recovery, but also less adaptations to the training session. So if you're talking about your next session being a sort of competition where you really want to perform optimally, then indeed it might be beneficial to have some kind of recovery intervention that helps with faster recovery. But if you want to just have the next training session and eventually just want to build adaptations, then it might actually not be beneficial to have that recovery intervention between the sessions per se. Uh, so I think that would be my first sort of question that I would ask people. But um, if they indeed want to just have, let's say, the optimal training uh, stimulus, then I would just recommend very simply, just make sure you get your nutrition that you need and perhaps some sleep, uh, like a, a, a nap during the day. And these are like very well supported recovery interventions. And then you can have, if you want to, yeah, make, make sure you have uh, an optimum recovery in terms of performance, then you could include some other things like a cold water bath. And there's like, I think we included the table also in a review with probably around 20 different recovery modalities where you can be laying in water with like some sound and you have some pneumatic leg compression and it's like a lot of them. And I guess overall, there's a lot of, of some studies probably for each of them you can find that support their use, but also some studies that do not find any difference with their use or not using. So it, I would say overall depends a bit on what have you got available? What do you like as an athlete? That's a very important one. Um, and again, what's the goal? Do you want to recover as fast as possible or do you want to optimize adaptations to training? So effectively, when you are looking to, to perform, you might lose the adaptations from that first training by performing some recovery modalities. Um, when, you, when you take that into account and you're gonna, let, let's, let's say we, we go for a case study and you're like, oh, this is how I'm gonna do it in this setting, right? So can you take us through how you would then program this either for athletes or for yourself to optimize recovery between let's say uh, a first session and a second session where you accept in this case that potentially you blunt the adaptation from that's the first session yeah sure so the first thing i would consider is what specific activity an athlete likes and that's also a lot of research they're supporting if you do something that you like as an athlete as a recovery modality, actually you will improve much more compared to doing the same thing that sort of if you don't like it. So that would be my first thing to ask. So let's say an athlete might enjoy cycling, but he or she doesn't enjoy running or swimming or whatever. So then probably indeed we will be choosing for cycling as a cool down modality. Then the second thing I would probably sort of have some recommendations on is the duration of the cool down. So the longer, like if you do a cool down, one of the negative uh, effects you might have there is that you will interfere with this glycogen uh, restoration. And a very simple way to just prevent having a very large influence there is just to keep the cool down quite short and at a low intensity. So therefore my recommendation would be just keep it to let's say 15 minutes max and can be also 10 minutes, five minutes, also depending a little bit on how that lead feels about it. So that's, I guess, a very important one to just and minimize any negative adaptations and actually the same 
let's say the athlete would have preferred running over cycling or he or she wouldn't no no let's let's uh, take the case example where he or she wouldn't care if it would be running or cycling then you could actually opt for cycling just to prevent extra mechanical impacts muscle damage muscle soreness um so that could be a second thing to consider there so the, we have duration the modality um and I think another last important aspect is to consider what is the sort of activity that you have performed before the cool down. So if that's indeed um, something involving mostly just the lower body, then probably you, you also want to have some kind of a lower body activity for the cool down. So just to get the same muscles moving, to move out, uh, to, get, to get the blood flow in the same muscles and to make sure all the nutrition, for example, is delivered to the muscles to optimize recovery there. Um, and there is some research also hinting at that we might need to recruit sort of big, uh, large muscle groups. So you have really sort of large muscle mass being uh, activated to really um, yeah, activate the blood flow in these muscles to improve recovery. So then we end up probably with some kind of activity that indeed might be cycling for 15 minutes at a very low intensity, just should feel relaxing. And there's also quite a few surveys just uh, stating that people just enjoy socializing during a cool down. So that might also be an important aspect, the whole psychological aspect of the cool down, which we haven't discussed actually. Uh, but that's something also to take into consideration, of course, when performing a cool down. And j just quickly before we round up, what, what are the psychological implications of that? So let's say you're a, you're a team sport athlete, obviously you want to sit and chat and joke and laugh and probably talk about the training session. So like, what, what can you do as a coach then to, to enhance that kind of recovery? Yeah, so I, I guess perhaps, yeah, let's start at how do studies typically measure this psychological recovery? And they typically do it is by making some questionnaires. And that's, of course, assume that you have a very objective measure of, uh, of uh, yeah, psychological recovery. And it's, I think 10 studies or something have done this by now. And they all basically report that if you use these questionnaires to assess psychological recovery and also sleep, for example, a cool down typically isn't really effective. But then what's very interesting, at least to me, is that you then, if you ask people, did you perceive the cool down to be more effective than no cool down, they typically respond, it was actually effective. So there we have this discrepancy between what we sort of get objectively from the questionnaires in terms of psychological recovery and what people perceive to be the effect. And then there are two possible explanations for this discrepancy. One is that we have a very large placebo effect of a cool down. So a lot of people see everybody perform a cool down. So they assume it must be effective. So if you ask them, was it effective? They say, yes, it was effective. And I think that's really a big influence uh, there. Another aspect is that these questionnaires might not always optimally capture the effects of a cool down. And that comes back a bit more to your questionnaire, uh, to your question where indeed these questionnaires do not include any questions on like, did it allow you to socialize with your teammates, for example? Did it allow you to have some time to reflect on the competition? And this is like one of the reasons why people do perform a cool down as well. So if you not include these questions in a questionnaire, then you might miss some of the psychological benefits or yeah, of a cool down. So, but I, I guess it's probably a combination of both. So the questionnaires might not be fully complete, but my guess is there's probably also a very large placebo effect because everyone just sees everyone doing a cool down and assumes it must be effective.
So it, does that then, if we sum this all up, right, you've got the, the science, which says you probably don't need to do it. Um, and then potentially placebo effect, which says, yeah, may, maybe it's worth throwing in there. Like what's the, what's the net effect of all of those things together? Is it, is it worth throwing it away and saying, you know what science says, we're not going to do it. Or is it worth keeping it in just in case some people feel good about it? Like is how, how would you weigh those things up? Yeah, so my, I get this question a lot. So my overall advice is typically, if you like to do a cool down, then by all means, just do it. Just keep it short up to, let's say, 15 minutes. And especially if you're a little bit well-trained, then you probably won't see any negative effects. And in fact, you might even only see beneficial effects because for some studies that do not report like this significant difference, we sometimes see some trends towards small beneficial effects. So you could, based on these findings, argue well, if you, if you like it, then you have at least this psychological benefit already, then just keep doing it. But if you are not really into doing a cool down, then my advice is also, you're not really missing out a lot. So then if you just want to stop or just do a very short cool down, three minutes, whatever, then that's also absolutely fine. Absolutely perfect. So Bas, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking. Where can people find out a bit more information about you? Um, I'm active on Twitter, so they can probably find me by, I think my handle is just my name, at Bas van Hoven. I'm also at LinkedIn, although I don't post a lot there, and also Facebook, uh, but probably Twitter would be, I guess, the best uh, way to find me. I also have a website, actually, just basvanhoven.com, where I write some blogs uh, sort of with implications for athletes, coaches on science that I'm typically doing. I should update it, by the way, but uh, <laughs> um, that, that, at least something I try to keep uh, also a bit up to date. Perfect. Bas, massive thanks for your time and effort. I look forward to speaking again very soon. Thanks for the invite, uh, invitation. Thank you very much. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Bas for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. And every time you complete one of these courses, you'll get a certificate of completion, which means that you can prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested in lapping up some more great sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, I've been Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.